Hey, Marshall, have you ever wondered why there isn't a podcast app with just kids shows on it? It seems like it would be a really good way for families to find our podcast and other great shows, too. Yeah, so someone should make it. And we did. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, us. (laughs) Well, we helped. It's called the Kids Listen app, and it's from us and our friends at Kids Listen, a group of creators and advocates for podcasts for kids. Oh, yeah. All the best kids podcasts are members of Kids Listen. That is totally true. We wanted to make a place for podcasts that's completely kid-friendly. You can browse shows by age and interest, like science or bedtime stories, or even awesome interviews. And the app is free to download. Yes, and you can choose to support Kids Listen's mission of creating high-quality audio content for kids for a monthly donation of $3.99. That gets you some special bonus features as well. Visit app.kidslisten.org to discover the best new podcast app for kids and enter our sweepstakes to get a free supporters membership. That's app.kidslisten.org. We've also got big news on Patreon. We met and then passed our goal of 100 patrons. Woo! Woo! Which means we're taking all of our patrons on a field trip to our new city, Barcelona, Spain. We'll be putting up a poll of where we might go, and it's not too late to join us and our new awesome patrons. Nikita Anchin, the Fox family from Perth, Australia, especially Jack Fox, Jessica and Emma Jane Alexander, Ian Hartman, Kaidan East... Mia Oris, Dean and Ellery from Austin, Texas, and Chase Cascone. Thanks so much for your support. It really means so much to us. We also want to add that we got an email that one of our listeners, five-year-old Henry, emptied out his piggy bank because he likes what we do, and it seriously brought tears to our eyes. It did. It really did. (laughs) (laughs) It's things like that that really make it worthwhile to do what we're doing. So thanks so much, Henry. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. When you flick a light switch on, where does the electricity come from? And what happens when the lights go out? Everywhere. Today, we're on the case of a massive blackout that plunged over 50 million people into darkness. And we'll meet a scientist who's trying to make sure that it never happens again. Hi, my name is Ati, and I am eight years old. I live in California. My question is, where does electricity come from? Where we live, electricity is almost always there when we need it. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes every time you flick a switch. I think most people probably don't realize what it takes to get electricity every day. Yeah, and it's only when the power stops working that we think about Adi's question, where electricity comes from. It is only because of emergency generators that we are able to welcome you to our NBC News headquarters here in 30 Rockefeller Plaza in Midtown Manhattan, where the lights are out. For that matter, they are out west to Cleveland, Ohio, and north to Ottawa, Canada, in a huge and history-making blackout. On August 14, 2003, 50 million people across the Northeast United States and Canada lost power. And for many of them, it didn't come back on 
for two full days. The power went out shortly after 4 p.m. Eastern time. We were assured it was a natural cause, as they say in the power business, a power grid, a big one that went out in the state of New York. A power grid that sounds like a new kind of CrossFit workout, like, all right, guys, here's the power grid. Push, push, go. So you're saying people working out is where electricity comes from? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some power plant that's just powered by CrossFit. (laughs) Well, a power grid, also called the electric grid, is the system of power plants, power lines, and power companies that supply electricity to all of our homes. And when the lights went out back in 2003, it meant that the grid was broken. Not just in New York, but everywhere. So what happened? How does electricity supply break? Well, how it happened and why it affected so many people was an engineering mystery. So today, we're going to get on the case. We are electric detectives. And that's why I ordered us these handy Sherlock Holmes-style hats with thunderbolts on them. Oh, neat. Neat. It even fits. Yeah, I know your giant head size. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to start looking for clues in the most powerful place in Texas. Okay, so can you just describe where we are right now? Yes, right now we are in a conference room that is overlooking our control room. The control room is where we manage the flow of electricity for 90% of the state of Texas. Leslie Sopko is guiding us through ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. ERCOT, not to be confused with the Eel Reinforcement Corporation of Transylvania. Sometimes ERCOT gets their mail. (laughs) (laughs) Is this about eels again? Another thing about eels? Come on. We do electricity here. Electricity. (laughs) There are only three electric grids in the United States. One in the east, one in the west, and one in Texas. That's ERCOT. Okay, so what are we doing here? So the control room we're about to see is very much like the one that was responsible for the blackout in 2003. When we arrived at ERCOT, the windows to the control room are covered by thick, dark curtains. We really don't want to provide any distractions. Suddenly, like it's the first scene of a play, the curtains roll apart. (gasps) Oh my gosh, it's dramatic. I expected it to be a lot smaller. I I don't know why. (laughs) We're at an overlook looking over into the control room, and there are eight desks uh, where our control room operators work. Um, There is a big wall board that's about two stories high that has a lot of information that our control room operators use to manage and run and operate the electric grid. The wall board is a gigantic digital board lit up with all kinds of maps and data, including news, weather, anything that could affect people's need for electricity across the state. And there's a huge emergency indicator that looks kind of like a traffic light. Right now, it's green. Okay, so I still got that hat on. It looks quite snazzy, I must say. But what would it take for the emergency indicator to turn red? 
We are constantly monitoring the transmission lines. And to help paint a picture, when I say transmission lines, I'm not talking about the small ones that are on um, poles that you see by your neighborhood. We're talking about these big lines that are attached to towers that you see when you're driving down the highway. Those are the power lines that ERCOT is constantly looking at. What could go wrong with a transmission line? Well, it could get damaged in a storm or get more electricity than it can handle. If that happens, the control room operators take quick action. And so if we have any issues that come up with any one of those transmission lines, we may need to reroute some power to a different line. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be super easy. Yeah, but here's a question. What if the control room operators don't notice that anything is wrong with those transmission lines. I see what you're getting at. What if there's a problem with the transmission line and the control room didn't catch it until it was too late? Ooh, detective work! (laughs) (laughs) The problem could spread out across the entire grid, affecting millions of people. I think we're on to something. To confirm our suspicions, let's talk to someone who was there that day, a guy named Mike Leggett. On August 14, 2003, Mike was a regular scientist just trying to do his laundry. And as I'm putting the last quarter into the last dryer, the lights go out. That moment changed the course of his research and his life forever. Doing laundry has never really done that for me. Well, I mean, the impact took kind of a while to sink in, so it still could happen for you. (laughs) I, I think my aha moment actually came not on the night of the blackout, But many months later... After the lights came back on, the United States government did an investigation into what had caused the blackout. Mike read the report and discovered that it all started with a damaged transmission line in Ohio. I know, those huge power lines that Leslie told us ERCOT is constantly monitoring. Right. So that day, a control room operator went out to lunch and forgot to turn on an important computer monitoring system that would have alerted people to the problem. So their screens told them that everything was okay, but what their screens didn't tell them was that the things giving that information had stopped working. It wasn't long before things spun out of control. When the grid becomes unstable, power plants start turning off to protect themselves. And because there's one grid connected across the Northeast, Power plant after power plant was turning off. Soon, all the power plants were dark, and 50 million people were without power. So it's not that there was something wrong with the power lines that make up the grid. It was the way the grid was managed by people. Most of what led to the blackout occurring were human factors. Human beings didn't understand what was going on. When the blackout had happened and all of these people were plunged into darkness, human beings were really struggling to work together um, within their own companies and between these companies to try to get the systems back up. So imagine the control room we saw at ERCOT being thrown into absolute chaos. The emergency indicators going off like crazy. People are running around on phones trying to figure out how to fix it. Yeah, because every moment they don't fix it, it's like people stuck in elevators and subways. Yeah, they're just waiting in the sweltering heat. But it took the power companies a long time to get the information they needed from their computer systems. And when Mike realized that, he knew the real culprit. Which was who or what? It was 
people's inability to work with the grid's computer system when there was a crisis. And Mike knew how he could help. And so my background in uh, programming and psychology was looking at how human beings look at things and pay attention to them. He was thinking about how those control room operators were looking at their computer systems to make decisions and not getting the right information. So Mike thought he could make something better. One of the things that I think engineers do is look at, here's this piece of the problem that we want to solve. If that piece doesn't include the human beings, then you might come up with a really good technical solution. But maybe then when that goes in front of the human being, it doesn't work the way that you meant it to. Mike went back to school to learn more about how energy systems work. Then he made a new system, taking humans into account. Let's go back to ERCOT and see what he built. So there are two maps of the state of Texas on this big wall board. The one that Mike was involved in is the McComber map, which is the one in the center. It's kind of has these pretty colors and lines across the state of Texas. Um, basically, those different lines represent all of the transmission lines within the ERCOT region. What Mike did was make sure that it was easier to see a problem with a transmission line and how it affects the rest of the grid. So a control room operator can see that map on the wall board at a very high level, but then on their individual desktop, they can actually use the computer system to zoom in to any specific transmission line. They can also see the transmission line up close down to the town and street corner. But what they can also do is turn off unnecessary information. Those pretty lines and colors show the big picture during a normal day. But during an emergency, they're chaotic and distracting. Which is why we didn't bring our dog on this electric detective mission. Because he's chaotic and distracting and always wanting to lick our feet. Yes, just like a map. (laughs) (laughs) So to answer Adi's question, electricity comes from power plants. And we get it through the electric grid. But any solution to a problem is really about the people who need electricity, us, and the people who help us get it. It's definitely true that we wouldn't have electricity without people. So really, we're a part of the grid as well. It's not just wires and physical equipment. Mystery solved by the Electric Detectives. Case closed. Join our electric detective squad by finding the electric grid in your town. We've created an electric grid scavenger hunt to help you discover how electricity gets to your house. Download it for free on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Thanks to Dr. Mike Leggett of Resilient Grid and Leslie Sopko at ERCOT. Special thanks to Robert Ferres and Cheryl Kirschenbaum for helping out with this episode. You can find Tumble on the new Apple Podcast Kids page at applepodcast.com slash kids or on the website at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Sarah Lentz is our associate producer. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all the music. Tune in next time for more stories of science discovery. <laughs> <laughs>